So good evening to everyone joining us. I'm delighted to be speaking to Neil Smith, TD for Cavan Monaghan this evening. Uh, so just for anyone who isn't aware of Neil's political background, uh, so Neil, you were elected to Cavan County Council in 2009, uh, elected as a TD to the Cavan Monaghan constituency in 2016, and you also served as president of the Women's Network from uh, 2015. So uh, just to start, <laughs> so just to start, would you mind telling us uh, why did you get involved in politics? Uh, well, it certainly really wasn't by design. It was more, I would say, accidental than anything else. Um, I had my studies and I had studied in NCAD uh, as an art teacher and history of art teacher for secondary school. I taught for a number of years in, in Dublin and then I went to Leary to do a master's in curatorial studies. And at that point I moved home. I was doing some teaching in some of the local secondary schools and I was also very interested in curatorial work. And um, the reason being I saw Cavan as an ideal sort of platform for artists north and south of the border. And I saw it as a, a platform to bring artists together, have that opportunity to engage and I suppose to initiate conversations about the border region and the border area through contemporary art practice. And I suppose what really got my interest going with the local authority and the local authority's input into a local community was there was an application form put forward to Cabin County Council for a huge Tesco's here in Bedeborough. And at the time I had done a study on, um, you know, the impact of, you know, organisations like Tesco's, what they do to a community, um, what the, the negatives and the positives, uh, and, you know, the integrities of small towns like Bedeborough. So that was one, I suppose, part of my life at the time when I got involved in politics. So I, I realised that, you know, community maybe um, discussion engagement wasn't happening around uh, such a huge planning application where a small town here in Bedford with a population of 3,000. Around the same time, more coincidence than by design, um, an uncle of mine had invited me to join the local common. I suppose my parents and my whole family history had been uh, in Fianna Fáil. Um, they weren't particularly politically active at the time or anything like that. It was an uncle on my other side of the family, the non-political side, if you like, that asked me to, to join my local common. And so I did. So I wasn't too long there before I was asked to take on the role of secretary and the role of vice chair. And it kind of took off from there. At the time, there was no Fianna Fáil councillor in my local town. Um, I felt there was a lot of a lot and a lot at stake in my local community in terms of the integrity of our community and our main street. Um, not just the application form for Tesco's, but uh, you know, the involvement and the input from our local authority into the local area. And um, the local elections weren't too far away from then. So I, I pointed in forward. I'm giving you the short version now and the simple version, of course. Uh, and yes, I was lucky to get elected in, two, in 2009. Great. Uh, so, as a lot of people would know, you served in the Fianna Fáil front bench on the last in the last Doyle as arts, cult, arts and culture spokesperson. Uh, but so obviously that's a very important priority of yours. But overall, what would your main priorities be as a politician? I would say community um, would be my main priority. I'm from a rural constituency, a rural constituency that in my view has been very much neglected in terms of um, capital investment for roads, infrastructure, and we have no rail 
line. Um, there's also a very, I suppose, controversial development, and that is the um, overhead uh, power lines for Airgrid, which is, you know, a big controversial topic, if you like, in my constituency. And it affects Cavan Monaghan and Meath, and North Meath now comes into the Cavan Monaghan constituency as well. Um, obviously broadband, and we had this discussion earlier on before we had our interview at all, you know, we have a, lot, a lack of uh, broadband. And I have a huge interest in education. As I said, my background is in, as a secondary school art teacher. I had the very real privilege of teaching in primary schools as well. I worked as a resource teacher in secondary schools in Dublin, and I worked as a full-time art uh, teacher in um, my own constituency of Cavan Monaghan and work very closely within the ETB system uh, across the two counties. So, I mean, they, I suppose, give a, a flavour um, of what my priorities are. We have a big development ongoing at the moment, which is the Holy Family School, which is a school that is dedicated for those with intellectual and physical disabilities. Um, it's been a long time coming. That new school has been requested for the last 20 years and it's finally come to the fruition, a new school, which services Cavan, Monaghan, Mead and other counties along with that. But it's a real focal point here uh, in the constituency of Cavan. It's in, in Cushill, which actually is an ideal location because it borders between Cavan and Monaghan. So that's a sort of the flavour of the things that I have um, an interest in and that I'm working towards for my local area, my local community. Thank you. So, as mentioned earlier, uh, you were involved with the Fianna Fáil Women's Network and was and you were elected president in 2015. Uh, so, could you explain why you got involved in the Women's Network specifically? Yeah, well, I suppose it becomes very evident when you get involved uh, politically, whether it be in the local common, your local court of country, your local doll, and then and your local council that I suppose women are in the minority in a lot of cases and I had come from an education background where women were in the majority if you like in terms of the workforce that was there so um, yeah I suppose it, 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 it raises a number of questions why don't women get involved do they not see it as a, as a, a, a career for themselves if not why not uh, what are the barriers? What makes it difficult? What are the answers or the solutions in, 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 I suppose, breaking those glass ceilings and getting that critical mass of women involved in politics? Um, and when the opportunity came along when Fianna Fáil decided they were going to have a women's network, I felt I would like to be involved because I felt I had something to contribute. Uh, and I felt we could learn from seeing, you know, what other um, countries were doing worldwide to see how we get women involved. And of course, we know from that wonderful organization called Women for Election that the five C's are the big, I suppose, barriers. And that was back as far as 2015 when I became president first. And unfortunately, those bar barriers haven't changed that much. They, they are childcare, cash, confidence, and the other C's just escape me, but I'm sure Anya, you, you may know what they are. Um, but yeah, I suppose when you when you see what the key areas or the key obstacles are, you start to reflect on your own experience, uh, the experience of those around you, and you know it's a good opportunity to share experiences too with other women and men within the organisation as well. Great. Uh, so, what would you say is the role of the women's network within the party in relation to getting women involved, getting women to run, and influencing policy? Yeah. Well, you know. 
I suppose we did a number of things, but one thing I always felt that the ladies benefited from most were workshops and uh, facilitated workshops. And I, I know the last one that I was involved in before um, the previous election was one on resilience. And I remember the feedback from that. It was probably the last workshop that we organized for my term as president. Uh, a, a really excellent uh, presentation by Jerry Farley on resilience. And of course, when you've come through elections, if you've come through conventions, um, you know, you learn that resilience is the first key element and key attribute you've got to develop um, over time. It's not something you kind of wake up with, it's something you've got to work on and develop and master, if you like, uh, for a political career or political life. And um, I suppose we never get the opportunity, men or women it has to be said, to have that opportunity to just reflect on where we are, how we got there, what were the obstacles, what were the solutions. And um, I think that that's something that those kind of, you know, workshops, resilience, confidence building um, and childcare, you know, is a big issue that hasn't been resolved at all level, at uh, council level. Um, and there are things that need continued work. Of course. Uh, so just to move on to an issue that you've been working on recently. Uh, as some people may know, you were instrumental in the fight to save the Cavan Midwifery-led unit in Cavan General Hospital and in other similar situations around the country. Uh, so would you just like to give an update on how that's going and also why, this, why you feel this service is so needed? Yeah, well, we're very lucky in Cavan General Hospital to have a midwifery-led and to my shock, I suppose, when the issue raised uh, was raised that the staff and more importantly, users of the service felt that it was, it was an, uh, uh, an effort being made to bring it in under the umbrella of the consultant-led um, pregnancy pathway or maternity pathway within the hospital. There was a real concern that maybe its identity, its autonomy was being, you know, paired away if you like. Um, so I got in touch with the midwifery led unit and um, a lot of the mums who had been there, my own, a lot of my own friends have used the service and couldn't speak more highly uh, of the care and attention both throughout their pregnancy and after, pre after giving birth that they received. And when you get into the research, you realise that in the north of Ireland there are eight such, such services and in the Republic we have only two services. Um, there is a national maternity plan there and that plan clearly says, as does the World Health Organisation, that midwifery-led units are certainly something that need to be enhanced, they need to be nurtured, they need to be invested in and they need to be developed and rolled out consistently around the country. And that hasn't happened. So uh, we led the charge in terms of, you know, I raised the, the question with Minister Harris at the time. I said staff service users are concerned and considering it was the only service along with uh, Our Ladies Hospital or Lourdes Hospital in Drogheda uh, to service women all along the border region and the Midlands, it would be a real concern if there was any diminution of the service itself. So um, Minister Harris confirmed to me that he had no plans to do so or do such a thing and the department hadn't either. So to quell any fears, he did do a Zoom call because of course this all happened during COVID as well with the staff down there to reassure them there would be no alteration of the, or diminution of the service down there at all. So since that, I have worked closely and kept in close contact with the Midwives Association. Uh, I'm even more convinced now that it's a service 
General Hospital. Not only that, but it should be rolled out across the country because the, the key, I suppose, indicator here is that the hospital in Drogheda is at full capacity, that there is a waiting list for of mums, expected mums who want to use the midwifery led service. And I believe that the one in Cavan hasn't probably got fair play in terms of a platform, in terms of promotion, in terms of providing information to expected mums that they have this choice, that that service is there and that choice is there. It's 20, I think 16 years it is in Cavan General Hospital at this stage. Um, and it's amazing that the feedback I got from the staff was that, you know, during those uh, debates in the Dáil, during those conversations in local media, um, their, the number of calls and inquiries that came through increased significantly um, so there is a body of work done to be done there to encourage women to inform women that that choice is there but not only that there's the bigger question here and that is about the national maternity uh, plan that the commitments that are made in that that the aspirations that are given in that that the promises that are given in that to uh, roll out more of those services across the country are certainly fulfilled and i have taken up the mantle with the new minister uh, stephen donnelly i'm delighted to see him in the position um, and he is fully and guaranteed me he's fully committed to that uh, so i will be i suppose continue to fly the flag for that particular service across the country great uh, so just to discuss another fairly current issue at the moment, uh, that being the reopening of schools. So as mm -hmm. you mentioned, you have experience uh, teaching at primary and second level. And how would you say, what would you say are the challenges facing teachers and principals at the moment in terms of opening up? And how do you think these can be addressed by the Department of Education and by the government? Yeah, so look, at there, there, there of course there's anxieties and concerns. I have to say that a lot of my friends uh, are teachers, uh, a lot of my former colleagues are obviously teachers, and there's a real enthusiasm and willingness and, you know, um, almost excitement about getting normal because the one thing we've learned about COVID-19 is it's not going away unfortunately and it's all about protecting ourselves protecting others and how we live with it and work with it more importantly of course there's an anxiety with parents of course there's an anxiety with principals of course there's an anxiety with teachers and students themselves but um, we have seen evidence of other countries you know, across Europe. And I'm going to give Switzerland as an example. You know, social distancing is not required for ch children below 16 years of age. Their class numbers are smaller. And that is something we ser we have to look at seriously to address. Um, the PPE gear has to be made available. The sanitization um, equipment has to be made available. And of course, the capacity and the space to allow people to feel they're safe within their working environment, they're safe within their learning environment. And for parents, that their kids and their very most precious little beings in the world are in a safe environment too. And I think Minister Norma Foley has done an excellent job in terms of laying out a very you know, concrete plan that people, that, that, that management and staff know what they have to do, they know what the expectation is for, from them. And beyond that, we all have to, I suppose, take personal responsibility within our own school communities. My own daughter would be going back to Montessori. I was over the moon when I received a letter from her wonderful teachers, Nula uh, Rogers and Ethan Cooney, to say that Montessori would be 
Carlene as normal. And I mean, I can, as I said, my daughter's three and a half, and I can certainly see uh, and feel for her that not having the interaction with her peers, not having the interaction with other kids, has probably been the most um, crippling of all of the effects, if you like, of COVID nineteen. Not so much the learning, but that social uh, experience is uh, is critical. Um, there is something to be said in that we're all in this together. I know parents are very anxious how much their kids have missed out on. And, you know, all I can say to the parents is that, you know, the kids have all had the same disadvantage put in front of them. Yes, there are some kids who will find it more difficult. And yes, the resources have to be put in place to address that for the kids that do find it more difficult. Um, I mean, I think that the most vulnerable here in society are the children with disabilities, both intellectually and physically, and their parents. There has been nothing put in place for them throughout this COVID-19. They, you know, needed help and assistance, you know, far more probably than our able-bodied children who, you know, could go out and play to a certain extent. Um, there's going to have to be real investment and a real priority put in place for, for those children and for those parents who have suffered immensely during COVID-19. Of course. Uh, so just to move back to the topic of women in politics, uh, obviously, as you just mentioned, uh, you have a very young daughter, Juliet, and uh, so you have some experience in this area. Uh, of the obstacles facing women and especially parents in relation to politics. So what would you say are the main barriers facing women entering politics? and How can they be dealt with really? Okay, so I suppose politics is one of those jobs. It is, it's no exaggeration to say it's 24 seven and it's seven days a week. You're never really off duty. And you have to have somebody uh, wonderful in your corner, as I do. My amazing staff, Michelle, who's here at me tonight, making sure that this all runs smoothly, and Julianne and Breed and Seamus. I have fabulous staff, and that's that's really key in terms of where the role that I'm in, uh, being able to do that. You know, but as a parent, you know, you have to go into this in the full knowledge that as a rural TD, I won't be home two and possibly three nights a week a week normal terms. Now COVID-19 of course has put a stop to late night meetings, it's put a stop to court cancer meetings, it's put a stop to council meetings, it's put a stop to openings, you know, all that kind of stuff that always happened after hours and really, you know, um, eliminated family or quality time with, you know, your children in the evening time. And the weekends, a lot of your time gets soaked up as well. But I remember starting out being at, um, uh, it was a, a workshop, it was a boot camp that Fianna Fáil ran themselves for women in politics. And I remember uh, Mary Wallace and um, Mary O'Rourke, two, you know, wonderful women who have given a significant part of their lives to their politics, to their communities, to their country uh, to serve and also had families at home that were growing up and needed them too. And I remember asking them, like, you know, how do you marry the two things together? And both of them at different times actually said to me, well, you need a very good you know, support network at home. And yes, that is crucial. And you must go into it with the attitude that those community events that you go to, those, um, I suppose, those types of events, you have to make those your family outings, your family days as well. And I can see it with Juliet, she's only three and a half. Like, you know, I can bring her most places and, you know, she doesn't shy away from it. She's kind of a socialized little thing. Um, so I suppose it can be partly to get them started young, if you like, and, and get them used to it and aware of it. And that, you know, it's, 
you just take it as part of it's our normal life if you like it's not everybody's norm it's not everybody would like it but it is our norm and um she already knows that you know when the doll is sitting there's two nights of the week i'm not at home to put her to bed uh, and and she's just i suppose has that so far so it's worked so far and um, if you're a, a td who works or a senator work, who's working in dublin it's a little bit different you can you can get home at night and um, i suppose the doll and that's the one thing um that shocked me when i had juliet first there is no and um, not that you, nobody wants maternity leave because maternity leave isn't practical in this job but there's no acknowledgement of the fact that i was uh, going to need a couple of weeks off work because i was having a baby and um, it was more a case of um that yeah, I think I'd spring in six hours at the time, which is like crazy in this day and age that you would do such a thing when you're not sick at all. But they had no facility and they still, as I'm aware, don't have a facility for it. But things like that, family rooms, and even the idea perhaps that, you know, mums of young children that need to be home at night, that pairing could be put in place, that, you know, they wouldn't actually have to be there till 11 o'clock at night, that there could be a pairing system put in place. And I think that really needs to be looked at. If it can be looked at, for when TDs or ministers need to go abroad, it should be for when mums of young children need to get home at night. So there's simple little things that could be done, that should be done to make life uh, for, uh, in politics more um, amenable for women. Of course. Uh, so just in relation to the barriers affecting women involved in politics, uh, one of possibly contentious suggestion that has been put forward is the issue of gender quotas. And of course, they were introduced this year for the 2020 general election with parties having to have 30% of their candidates be female. And by the next general election uh, around 2024, this is due to increase to 40%. So obviously, this is a very contentious issue. There are a lot of pros and cons. But what would your personal opinion be on this as an effective barrier or, do, or as an effective measure to reduce barriers? Or do you believe they're more effective ways that can be um, well, it's, it's going to take a combination of things on it's going to take you know how the doll operates number one and you know our measures put in place that make it more family friendly uh, and number two i think the gender quotas are a good idea for a certain length of time i don't think it's something that should go on indefinitely and um, i think it kind of focuses the minds of political parties to encourage and entice women in when they have to and um, nobody wants to be the token woman that's not what i'm saying but i believe that there's lots of women out there would actually go forward if they were asked and research has shown time and time again that if women are asked to consider going forward they would but they need to be asked and i suppose maybe the men are a little bit more eager and keen than females are to go for it without ever being asked so you know i think the gender quota is um as I said, good to focus the attention in the minds of political parties to look around them and see who's in their community. Because there's lots of women in the community already doing it. They're doing the work of politicians. They just don't see themselves in that role. Um, so I think they're good for a limited period of time. Uh, you would hope, I know the last election certainly didn't do it for us and it didn't do it for a lot of political parties in terms of uh, getting the critical mass of women elected that we want to see elected. But I think over time it can have that effect. But I think to not alienate men and to not alienate people into feeling that the token woman, that it's important that there is a time limit for it. Of course. 
Uh, so just to finish off, obviously you spoke earlier about your priorities as a politician and given this, what would be the single most important thing for you for, you for Fianna Fáil to achieve in this term in government? Well, I think the last government, <clears throat> without saying cliche, sounding cliche, were very good at spin. And I think the one thing our Taoiseach has been totally committed to, both in opposition and you'll find will be the same in government too, it's about delivery. And, you know, we can all talk, we're blue in the face, but talking doesn't get, you know, talk is cheap. You know, action speaks louder than words and people want to see houses delivered. They want to see the the, the waiting times for operations for hospitals. I mean, that's the biggest thing we're coming across in my own constituency office, where people get letters, where parents get letters of uh, children with a disability, waiting on that assessment of need you know, waiting years for something so crucial and so critical that they get it so young. So they're, for me, the things that will prove that this government is different and that this government is not just uh, talk, uh, that this government is about action and it's about delivery. Uh, and people really need to see results that way. You know, Meath County Council, years of a housing list, waiting list for to get social housing. Dublin, the waiting list gets longer. Cavan and actually, you know, we consider three or four years not too bad, but that shouldn't really be the case for a mom of maybe three small children that finds herself in a, in, in, in a scenario where she doesn't have a roof over her head looking for emergency accommodation. So it's those kind of things, I think, will really um, be the measure of this government. Um, for me, I would like to see what we don't have in this constituency is a women's refuge. And we have seen the terrible case in more recent years of um, Clodagh Haw and her boys. Uh, and that really put Sean a spotlight on um, domestic violence. And I know COVID-19 has certainly done that too. And we've seen the numbers soar. So I think that's something for me personally in the constituency I'd like to see addressed. I'd like to see delivery on. But those issues that I mentioned earlier, I think, are kind of the more broad issues for the country uh, nationally. Of course, that's great. So thank you so much, Nia, for joining me. And thank you for everyone for watching. Thank you, Anya.